You know, it's easy to be a little judgmental about the ancient Hebrews while they were in the wilderness, traveling from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. After all, they seem a rather dense group of people. Stiff-necked, I think the Bible calls them. Hard-headed, we probably would call them today. They seem to easily forget things that you and I imagine would be impossible to forget. They seem to forget how bad it was when they were slaves. They seem to forget that the present problems are nowhere near as bad as those were. Then again, now that they have some freedom, they seem to forget that there are others that are on the outside looking in, hoping for the smallest of favors of blessings to endure from one day to the next. And so not just in these instructions, but several times God has to say to them, remember you were once slaves in Egypt, but now you are free. Remember what it was like to be a slave. Remember what it was like to be an outsider. Find ways to treat the outsiders among you, those that are easily left out. Find ways to make sure that they survive, even that they're taken care of. The foreigner, the orphan with no parents to provide for him or her, the widow with no one to provide for her. So in these instructions, God says you don't take things from foreigners and from orphans and from widows that they can't afford to lose. And drawing upon the generous custom of the day, we can debate the customs in the ancient world another time, don't overglean, overharvest your fields, your vineyards. Leave some plants, the ones you maybe miss at first glance anyway, leave them behind because then these outsiders will follow and they will, they will survive based on the things that are left on the vine, the plants left unharvested in your fields. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt and people had to look out for you. Look out for other people now. It's easy to be judgmental about the ancient Hebrews when we read about their hard-headedness, their forgetfulness even. But the, the hard truth is that you and I are often, well, we're just like them. I mean, after all, these are the same group of people that after they'd wandered in the wilderness for too long, they begged Moses to take them back. Take us back to Egypt. We'll be slaves again at least at least we'll have homes. At least we'll have some variety in our meals. I mean, they were tired of living in tents. They were tired of traveling a long ways and not getting where they were going and not seeming to be anywhere at all. They were tired, believe it or not, of eating manna every day, seven days a week. It may have been food blessed by, provided by God, but they were over it. They were over it. They were so frustrated by the uncertainties and the headaches of the present, they were willing to go back to what they had known in the past, even when what they had known in the past was downright awful. 
And sometimes you and I are just like that. We get so hung up on the problems of today and sometimes the uncertainties of today that we're willing to go back to the past, even a less than ideal past, in order to, well, at least know what's going on, to get rid of the uncertainty of the present, the fog, the haze that lies before us in the future. We'll take the unpleasantness if we know what's going on. And then sometimes I, I think we just get so hung up on what we have to do that we focus only on, well, today's to-do list. And we forget where we've come from. I imagine that you've had pretty momentous experiences in your lives, in your life. Uh, momentous experiences that shape your most important relationships, including your relationship with God. And yet how often do you remember those things when somebody ticks you off, <laughs> when you're in an argument, when you're frustrated by what somebody didn't do or by some oversight that somebody committed against you, leaving you out. We forget those momentous things of the past and we focus on the headaches and the heartaches and the to-do lists of the present. We do that a lot in the church as well. And I think that lessons like these instructions from God and from the teaching of Jesus point out that it's important to know why we're doing certain things before we worry so much about what and how and when to do them. Let me repeat that because it's really important. The scriptures repeatedly in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, and often from the words of Jesus himself, tell us that it is most important that we understand why we are doing things, or why we're not doing things, rather than what we're supposed to do, or when we're supposed to do it, or how we're supposed to do it. The most important question for faith is why. The other questions follow the why. But too often, like these ancient Hebrews in the wilderness, we're so focused on the what and the when and the how and the where, we leave the why for, well, for another time. Because who has time for it? We just have to get things done. We have to face the challenges of today. At Eastgate, we've tried to adapt our decision-making processes and even our committee and ministry structure to encourage us to ask why questions first. And that's a huge change in the life of any congregation, in the life of the church, because just like the ancient Hebrews, we have to be reminded that the why of following Jesus, of following God, is really important. It's so important that it often helps explain the what and the when and the where and the how. But we easily overlook the why because we're just focused on trying to do, well, let's be honest, we're focused on trying to do what has been done before 
do it as well or slightly better than it's been done before because people expect us to do those things. To have worship services in a certain way, to have certain types of, of Sunday school classes, to have certain activities around the holidays, to serve in certain ways. You know the drill. And by the way, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to belittle so much of the good ministry that we do repeatedly, year in and year out, some of it is very vital. What I am suggesting, as God was trying to remind the ancient Hebrews, as Jesus tried to teach his disciples 2,000 years ago and his disciples today, is that the why is incredibly important. And so the last time we were restructuring our governing uh, systems, our committees and ministries, I suggested that we ought to design them following our ministry statement, our vision statement, rather than simply all of the departments and committees that we've had year in and year out for decades. We should have a committee called Seeking God. We should have one called Sharing Christ. We should have one called Serving Others. Now, there are some administrative responsibilities we have because we own this beautiful building and the grounds around it, so we have a property committee to oversee it. We have staff that help us carry out our ministry, so we have a personnel committee to help oversee the staff and to deal with any issues that may arise with staff members. But otherwise, our ministry committee uh, committees, our ministries, we try to align them with our vision. We try to align them with the why we are Eastgate Christian Church, the why we gather together in Jesus' name in this particular way. We gather together because we believe that seeking the presence of God is vitally important. We gather together because we know from experience that sharing the love of Christ is essential for forgiveness and healing and hope in our lives and our relationships. And we know that this isn't just for us alone, that we have to serve others in Jesus' name. And then the question is, okay, How do our activities align with, those vision, with that vision of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ? Because if, if we want to do something as a church and it doesn't help people seek the presence of God or share the love of Christ or, or serve others in Jesus' name, it's probably not something we need to worry about. The whole point of the restructuring was not simply to decrease the number of ministries and committees at Eastgate, but to help focus them better. But I know there's one qualm about that, one problem. Uh, sometimes we don't know which ministry a certain activity rightly falls under. And the sneaky thing about our vision as Eastgate Christian Church is that if we're doing any activity correctly, it has elements of all three. I know that often we seek the presence of God through worship or through study, 
But if we're doing it right, there's love there and there's service to others, even if it's just the sharing of questions and insights and answers. And if we're gathering together to share the love of Jesus, whether through fellowship dinners or visiting the sick or whatever, well, we're testifying to the presence of God in our midst. And often we're serving others, sometimes literally serving others food and drink. And if we're serving others as the church, reaching out as the hands and feet of Jesus, well, I hope that our actions are filled with the love of Jesus, sharing that love of Jesus, and that in small ways, we're reminding people of the presence of God in their lives. So sometimes certain activities may lean more heavily on one of those three aspects of our ministry together. But they always incorporate all three. And we know that if we start asking why. Why are we doing this? Why are we giving money to support this ministry or this group in our community? Why are we giving money to provide the services of a doctor and a clinic in Carfu, Haiti? Why are we having a Valentine breakfast or a mother-daughter banquet? Or why are we praying for these people on the prayer list? Why are we worshiping on Sunday mornings? Why are we still worshiping using video technology when we can't safely gather together in one space? Why? If we answer the why, the what and the how tend to follow. If we say, it's Sunday, I gotta praise God. I gotta pray and study and learn. I gotta worship. And that's not just an individual need. That's the other thing that Jesus kind of highlights. Often these things are collective needs. It takes a group of people to live out God's vision for us fully. Anyway. I know it's easy for the preacher to say again, we need to ask why first why we want to do something or why we want to not do something. But if we skip that question, time-consuming though it may be, we may quickly agree on a what and a where and a who and a when and a how, and we may fall short of what we need to do, of what God dreams for the ministry of Eastgate Christian Church. We may fall short in our relationships and in the ways we try to live out and share the gifts that God has blessed us with. Because we'll be so focused on the details that we'll miss, well, we'll miss glimpsing God's bigger picture. So much of our lives is to-do lists. 
right? Either things that we are explicitly told we have to do by our bosses, by our spouses, by our family members, by our neighbors, by our government. And then there's a whole long list of to-dos that we do because we feel like we're expected to do them. And that happens a lot in the church. We get caught up in trying to trying to be the church that other we think other people expect us to be. And we're so worried about that that we forget why we're about this work in the first place. Just like those ancient Hebrews in the wilderness who had somehow mystifyingly forgotten that they once were slaves but now they're free. On the other hand, most Christians can truly sing frequently how we once were blind, but now we see. Start with why. It makes a huge difference in how we live out our faith.